Father, thank you that we can come before you right now. Thank you for a, the good night's rest you've given us. Thank you that we were healthy enough to get up and come in today and spend time with you and with each other. We bless you, Lord, and we love you. And we ask that today that you would help us again to move into your perfect will for our lives, Lord. I pray that from your word we will be touched, and Holy Spirit, you would teach us to do your will, Father. I pray that you would help us all to yield our lives to you, to lay it all down again, each and every day, giving our lives and our hearts to you. I pray now, Father, you'd help each of us to have our minds focused on this moment and that you would give us a retreat from uh, the world, give us a retreat from our busyness, give us a retreat from all the things that disturb us in our lives and that we could just take a breath, slow down, and just relax, Lord, and enjoy your word, enjoy your presence. We thank you, Father, that you're going to meet every one of our needs. You are in complete control of our lives, of our church, of our region, of our country, and of the world. You hold the whole world in your hands. Father, I thank you that we can have rest and peace because of that. So today, Lord, be glorified in our lives, in every word that's spoken. May it be edifying your body in Jesus' name. Amen. For this is the will of the Lord. We've been speaking about sanctification for quite a few times during the times that I've been given opportunity to speak. And we want to just sum it up today. This is the will of the Lord, even our sanctification, our consecration. It's a separating of ourselves from the world, from the way we used to live, and giving ourselves to God the way he wants us to give ourselves to him. You know, God has a certain way that he wants us to give ourselves to him. Do you know where that's found? You all know. Where's it found? In the, in the Bible. That's right. That's in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. So God wants to give us his peace. It comes through sanctification. And he wants to give us all his peace, not just a little peace. He wants to really bring us to rest in himself, in our, in our complete being. He says he wants to sanctify us in our spirit and in our soul and in our body. That it may be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord. So there's a position of being blameless before God that he wants us to remain in from the time we get saved all the way until he calls us home or perhaps until we hear his call the church up. Wouldn't that be nice in these days of turmoil to hear that trumpet go and we see each other going up in the air. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Whew. That's going to be a grand and glorious day. So God wants to sanctify us. He wants us to be a special way for him. And then I want to look today as our passage is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And this is your reasonable act of worship. Amen. Praise the Lord. 
So then he says, do not be conformed to the world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove or find the approval of God and what his will is for you. Not only his will, but it's a specific description of his will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So if I had to sum up what sanctification is, I would say it in this. I would wrap it up in this. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a born-again believer in which he leads you and teaches you how to repent of running your own life and how to be restored before God in obedience to God's will in all matters. And that's the tough part. It's not easy doing God's will in everything. We, we want to we do God's will in certain things. But then there are certain times where we want to do our will because it just seems convenient at the moment, doesn't it? Come on. Let's face it. When you think you can get away with it, eh, eh, who's looking? So that all your life now will be evident to yourself and to others that you have been born again. Sanctification is God restoring you to what he created you to be. It is the deliverance of the sinner from the power of sin. You see, when we got born again, we got saved from the penalty of sin. Right? But we still got to deal with the presence of sin. And because we're still in the presence of sin, we got to deal with the power of sin. That's our daily battle as Christians. So it is the practical empowering of every Christian to obey God's will or God's law. God's will is his law. His law is his governing power and sovereign right over you and me. His law is what governs mankind as he willed it. From the beginning. You know, right from the very beginning, he had a law with Adam and Eve. He told Adam to do certain things and not to do certain things. That's law, right? It's the law. You got law in your home. You got law where you work. You got law in society. Do this and this will happen. I don't want you to do this. God said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall. That's God's law. He was laying down his law. You know, my dad used to do that at home, didn't he? He'd lay down the law. He was a tough one. I'm telling you, man. When he laid it down, look out. Anyway, now, to insist on doing our own will, when I insist on doing doing my will, or when you insist on doing your will, in contrast to God's will, what are we really saying to God? We're doing exactly what Adam did, right? We're just all, here we go again. We're doing it all over again. We want to be a God unto ourselves. We're telling God to buzz off. That's what we're doing. Ooh. Ah. Anyway, I wanted you to get an idea what happens when we tell God to buzz off. And none of us would say we tell God to buzz off, but really we, we tell him to buzz off when we're doing our own thing. But we don't say that. We would never say that. We would never think that about ourselves. I would never tell God to buzz off. And when you think about sin... The Bible talks about sin in three stages, which is very good for us to understand, because if we understand these three stages, you can look at your life and see what stage you're in. So the first stage of sin, God just calls it sin. Sin's missing the mark. If I would put a bullseye up here and I would give someone a bow and arrow and tell them to hit the bullseye, if you were going to hit the mark, 
you would be right up there, top standard. But if you would miss the mark, you would have what the Bible calls you'd be sinning. You'd be missing the mark. You'd be falling short. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that's just sin. We all sin every day. It just happens. Somebody gets us mad. We say something and then, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And we confess our sin. And God says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all on. So we, we dirty ourselves up every day. And it just happens. Little sins. I shouldn't say little sins. No sins little because Jesus had to die for every and each little sin. There's no, there's no such thing as a little sin or a mistake to God, at least as far as Jesus is concerned. The next description of what uh, getting outside of God's will is called is called transgression. Transgression is when you see your neighbor go out to his backyard and he puts a sign there that says, No trespassing. Problem is, you've been cutting through his backyard for a long time. So he goes out there and he puts a sign there. Guess he's putting that sign. Guess who he put that sign there for? Not for the deer. He puts a sign there, no trespassing. So you go out there, and what do you do? First of all, you think, who does he think he is? And then you look this way and you look that way, and right through his yard you go. So this form of sinfulness is called transgression or trespassing. You know it's wrong, but you do it anyway. Now we got to ask ourselves, right? Because that's why we're here. Is there anything in your life that you know that you're doing? It's wrong, but you're doing it anyway. You know what God says about it, but you're doing it anyway. That's called transgression. When you get into transgression, that gets a little more serious Ugh, you're getting yourself jammed up a little bit more. Then there's one more level, which is the worst level, and that's called iniquity. Iniquity is the result of habitually transgressing God's will. We keep doing it over and over. We know it's wrong. We keep doing it. And all of a sudden, the Bible says we become a person of iniquity. We become crooked in our way of seeing things. You don't see the clear path anymore of God's will. It becomes crooked. Whenever you're around people like that, they normally say stuff like, eh, well, you know, uh, I'm not sleeping with anybody else. Just this one. Yeah, but you're not married. Well, you know, I'm not sleeping with anybody else. Yeah, but God says to be married. Well, you know. See, they've become crooked in their understanding. So, you get sin. Normally when you get saved, you're very sensitive to it. But then if you're challenged and you keep transgressing God's law, you just do it, you know it's wrong. And if you keep doing that long enough, all of a sudden, you're right back in the soup. You can't tell what's right from wrong anymore. Transgression and iniquity is lawlessness. Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons? And in your name do miracles. And then Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. I'm not saying it. I'm just reading it. So if, in, if transgression and iniquity is lawlessness, and we continue to live our life in that state, we are law. Breakers. We're living a lawless life. And Jesus said, many will say to him in that day, and he'll say to them, depart from me, 
you who practice lawlessness. You see what I mean? See, there's, a, there's one thing to sin. There's another thing to practice sinning. That's lawlessness. You know it's wrong. You're just going to do it anyway. Nobody will see. But Jesus is seeing it. And he's taking account. And the fact of the matter is we're all going to stand before him one day and be given account, right? We're all, he's going to ask us, well, what, what were you doing down there since you got saved? Well, of course, we're going to say, well, I did that. I did all these good things, and I did all these wonderful things, and I helped my neighbor out. I went to church a couple times a year. I did all these good things. I was pretty good. I worked miracles. I prophesied. And I cast out devils. And he's going to look at him and say, but you were lawless. He, what he was saying was, you never surrendered your will to me. You kept yourself in that willful place of disobedience. You wanted to get saved, but yet you remained stubborn. You wanted to do your own will. You didn't want to give him the fullness of your heart. But God, my friends, is wanting and expects, and it's going to be your acceptable service, as we'll read in Romans 12, that you give yourself fully, 100% to God. You say, well, I feel like a slave then. <clears throat> well, that's it. Paul said you're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Nobody's free. And that's hard for Americans to get that. Nobody is free. Adam wasn't free. Adam had to govern himself under the law of God. Right? When we get saved, when, when, we're, in, when we're in the world, we're not free. We think we're free. But we're we're sinning, and we're going to pay the penalty someday for that sin. And many pay it in their lives now. Why? Because they don't have peace. They're restless. They always got to be shooting up or drinking up or doing something to dull the pain. They got to be watching TV 12 hours a day. They got to be just indoctrinated by the digital media. You go down the road, and everybody's doing this while they're driving. You can't get away from it. You go to the gas pump. You get everywhere you go. Last time we were at the mall. Big screens are being put up. You go down the escalator, there's this 30-foot screen, and the news is coming at you. Wow. The world is indoctrinating you. But you're just eating the candy. You just keep eating the candy. Mm, this is good stuff. Then you go to the dentist, and the dentist is going to look in your mouth and say, no, that wasn't so good for you. You got cavities. You see. You see how this all works? This is all pretty basic stuff. So... How he loves us and knocks again and again on our heart. This is the church. When, by the time we get saved to the time we go, Jesus is just constantly knocking on our heart, knocking on our heart. And he's asking to take those places of our heart that he shed his blood for. He wants those places in your heart that he He wants every place in your heart. So whether it's a gross sin, I talk to Christians who are involved in gross sins. Now, it's one thing to be involved in a gross sin and wanting to be delivered. There's another thing to be involved in a gross sin and they just... Year after year, they say they want to be delivered, but they never get delivered. I don't get that. <clears throat> they just continue in it. <clears throat> so you have gross sins of the flesh, such as lust, fornication, adultery, soft porn, hard porn, homosexuality, pedophilia, gluttony, laziness, slothfulness. I deal with Christians who are in all this stuff. Why? Because when you get saved, God saves you to deliver you from this stuff. God saves sinners. That's the way it is. So we deal with all these things. And I do want to say something for the sake of our men, because the whole porn thing, <clears throat> lust and porn and all this stuff, is probably get more people talking to me about that than anything else, at least the men. 
And uh, I want to make a distinction between soft porn and hard porn. You know what soft porn is? Some of you might think I'm absolutely nuts for saying this, but soft porn is the Montgomeryville Mall. Hey, if it wasn't for seduction, they'd have to close three quarters of the closed stores. As a man, I got to go through here like, like this when I go in there. Now, the women don't understand that because it doesn't bother them. They just think it's pretty, right? But all the men know what I'm talking about. You know what soft porn is when you go to the grocery store and all the tabloids and all the garbage hanging in front? You know what soft porn is? Soft porn is Fox News on the web. You say, what are you talking about? You know, when I, when I was thinking of this, I, I said, Lord, if I say that to these people, they're going to think I'm absolutely fell off my rocker. So I went on, I went on Fox News today, and I, and I like to go to the Fox News website. But, and I even wrote to him, I sent him several emails about this, I said, stop with the soft porn. So this morning I went there, first page, head, first page, this is what I saw. This is supposed to be a news station. An article on sexy Houston Astro fan goes viral. And this was a girl sitting there in a provocative pose with her legs apart, blowing you a kiss. This is a news station? The next one was the Hooters teen cop scam. Hooters teen cop scan. This is our society. And then there was another one on. This is on the first page. VS model couldn't be wearing a skimpier bikini. Now, what is all that for but for men to click that thing? Come on, man. That's just cheese on the mousetrap. That's all it is. But I'm here to tell you guys, if you're going to step up for the Lord and you're going to keep yourself pure, you got to give up the eye candy. Women who are out there who are dressed seductively aren't there to make your eyes feel good and to eat that with your eyes. That's how, they, that's how it starts. It's the cheese on the mousetrap. You start going down that road. Nobody starts in sexual sin by, well, one day I think I'll commit adultery today. No, they usually start feeding their mind with what's out there. So you, whether you're involved in this or whether you're involved in simpler things such as... Uh, Pride or, well, that's not simple. Unforgiveness, a critical spirit, judgment. These things which all of us as Christians, we get stuck in these things every day. We can be critical. It's just, it just seems to happen. Um, all these things, if we continue it habitually, God says they're lawless too. So we should be striving as believers to get ourselves really pure for the Lord and really come into his will in all things. And that means every day just challenge our challenging ourselves with these things every day, taking up our cross with Jesus and putting that old man to death. So in light of that, I propose to you this. You can begin to do God's will by presenting your body as a living sacrifice. How can you do this? Three ways. One, by understanding the mercies of God. Two, by understanding what a living sacrifice is. And three, by understanding how to renew your mind. So the first one is this, understanding the mercies of God. If you read the book of Romans, and I hope you do, just read the first 11 chapters all leading up to this. It's all talking about God's mercy. And verse 12 is, is based on this, and Paul says, I beseech you by the mercies of God. So he wants us to know something about the mercies. I did a quick survey that I'm just going to read off. You can study it on your own. All have sinned. He describes the lost state of all of us. Well, how is that merciful? Well, you know what? If I'm dying, I want my doctor to say, you're dying. You need some help. 
Or I could think, hey, there's nothing wrong with me. He says, you're dying. I feel great. Look at the x-ray. Nothing wrong with me. You're going to die. So God's gracious in telling us that we all have sin. Two, all can be saved from hell through Jesus Christ. He gives us a remedy. Three, all can have a right relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. All can be free from the power of sin. All can have the power of the Holy Spirit for victorious living. All can have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. All can be joint heirs as sons and daughters of God through Jesus Christ. That's all in Romans 1 through 11. You can study it out for yourself. And there's a lot more in there. This is just a few, a few uh, areas that I picked out. 1 John 4.10 says, Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Ephesians 2.4 says, But God is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much, that even though we were spiritually dead and doomed by our sins, he gave us back our lives again. When he raised Christ from the dead, only by his undeserving favor have we been saved. And he lifted us from the grave into glory along with Christ where we sit with him in the heavenly realms, all because of what Jesus did for us. That's God's mercy. It's healthy to meditate on these things. I'm sure that when you were taking communion, that's what you were thinking about, what Jesus did for you. And then I'd like to read 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, For God was in Christ, restoring the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. Boy, that's mercy. This is the wonderful message he has given us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is using us to speak to you. We beg you as though Christ himself were here pleading with you. Receive the love he offers you to be reconciled to God. For God took the sinless Christ and poured unto him our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. So what's crazy about this is, once again, Paul's writing to Christians, and he's saying to be reconciled with God. You see, you can be made right with God through the atoning blood of Jesus, but that doesn't mean you're reconciled with him. You can recognize your sin. You can ask Christ to save you, and God can forgive you. That doesn't mean you're, that you have the right relationship with God yet. Right? You can go to work, and you can get caught stealing something, and your boss can forgive you and pardon you, but it's going to take you a while to reconcile with your boss because he's going to be watching you because you lost his trust. You see what I'm saying? Any relationship you have, when somebody betrays you, it's going to take a while, even after you forgive them, to get the trust back. And you know what God is looking to us for? Even though he doesn't see our sins, he's putting them in the sea of forgetfulness, he's still watching us to see, okay, I poured all my love into you. How much are you going to love me back? How much are you going to love me? And then he just looks at the way we live. How much do we love him? The question we should ask ourselves is, does the death of Christ move us anymore? Or is it just a historical fact? You know, that's the danger when you're saved too long. Does the death of Jesus still move you? Or do you take communion and go, ah, here we go again? If we're going to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, we must understand God's mercy intellectually, emotionally, and volitionally. Intellectually, yes. And we all have the knowledge in here. We all receive the knowledge. My people perish for lack of knowledge. Knowledge we have. But then emotionally, we've got the verse that says, you should love the Lord your God with all your 
heart and all your soul and all your strength. And then volitionally, see, it has to go to the third level. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And Paul said to the Corinthians, for godly sorrow produces something, repentance, which leads to something, which leads to salvation. But the sorrow of the world leads to death. So if we're just sorrowful for something, but we never repent of it, the Bible says that's worldly sorrow. You're just sorry you got caught. But what the sorrow that God's looking for is when you not only see it, not only recognize it, not only confess it, but that you repent from it. You turn away and you say, God, I don't want to do this anymore. By your help, every day, by your help, I'll get out of this thing and God will get you out of it. I don't care if you fall seven times a day. If your attitude is, God, I don't want to do this anymore, he's going to deliver you from it. Because you've got the power of God in you through the Holy Spirit and he's going to deliver you so that you can live a sanctified life. And not only deliver you from doing it, but delivering you from the, the, the nagging bothering habit, you see, you can be delivered from lust. You say, well, I don't do it, but you can be delivered from lust. You can be delivered from alcohol, right? The alcoholic stops drinking, but you know, many of them go to AA the rest of their life. So were they delivered? No, they just stopped drinking. They're what we call a dry drunk. They're not delivered. Jesus said, if the truth will come and the truth will set you free, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Jesus wants to, get the, he wants to get the monkey off your back. So guys with, you think, man, I could never get away from lust in my eyes. I'm like a magnet, man. You know, every day, no, you can be delivered from that. You can be set free, and you can look at every woman as your sister. You can look at every woman as God's child, and that's the way it should be. You can be set free, but you got to want it. you got to want it. So, you can begin to do God's will by presenting your body as a living sacrifice by understanding the mercies of God, by understanding next what a living sacrifice is. So, if you want to understand here, you know, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your body as a living sacrifice. You have to understand a little bit about the sacrificial system of the Old Testament because that's what he was alluding here to. And in the Old Testament, there were five type of offerings. If there's more, I, I didn't see them. But I put down the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. Now, some of these offerings were volunt voluntary offerings that you did. The burnt offering was a voluntary offering that you did. And when God calls us or when Paul exhorts us, I, I beg you because of God's mercy in your life to present your bodies as living sacrifice. This is a living, voluntary thing that you decide to do because God will not violate your will. This is something you must choose to do. You must get up and make a conscious choice that I am going to do God's will and not my will. So let's look at what that uh, requirement was. Back in the Old Testament, in Leviticus 22, when God gave out the requirements, if they were going to bring a voluntary sacrifice, let's look at what God wanted. Leviticus 22. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. There we go. Second book. And we'll start reading in verse 17. Leviticus 22, 17 says this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons. They're the, one, they're the ones who administered these uh, offerings. And to the children of Israel, and say to them, Whenever 
whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers of Israel or who, who offers his sacrifices for any of his vows or for any of his freewill offerings, which they offer to the Lord as a burnt offering, you shall offer it of your own free will. But you should offer it, this is what I want, this is what God said he expects, a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, from the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer, for it shall not be acceptable on your behalf. Whoever offers a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord to fulfill his vow or a free will offering from the cattle or the sheep, it must be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no defects in it. Those that are blind or broken or maimed or have an ulcer or have an eczema or scabs, you shall not offer it to the Lord your God, nor make any offering by fire of them unto the altar of the Lord. Neither a bull or a lamb that has any limb that is too short or too long, you should not offer it to the Lord. It is not ex- acceptable unto the Lord. You shall not offer to the Lord that which is bruised or crushed or torn or cut, nor shall you make any offering of them in your land. So what's the correlation? The correlation would be this. We come to the Lord, and we want His blessing. We want His forgiveness. We want His salvation. We want everything He has. I want everything you have, Lord. Give, every, give me everything you have, Lord. I want it all, Lord. I want everything. Bless me. Prosper me, Lord. Bless my family. Bless my money. Bless me, Lord. Bless my health. Give me everything you got, Lord. But I'm going to give you my lame and my blind and my broken and my bruised and my crushed and my deformed life. And many Christians think, well... God's just got to take me the way I am. No, God doesn't have to take you at all. He doesn't have to take you at all. But if, he's going to, if you're going to come to him, you've got to come his way. First through Christ, and then if we're going to be pleasing in his sight, doing his will, we have to come his way. And he expects us to be perfect in our heart. He does not expect us to come to him and say, well, God, you just got to take me the way I am, and I'm just going to continue to do what I'm doing. I'm going to continue to hate my sister-in-law for the rest of my life. She's a no-good so-and-so, and I don't care. I'm just going to keep hating her. I'm going to keep judging my neighbor. I'm going to keep stealing at work. I'm going to keep committing adultery. I'm going to commit lusting with my eyes. I'm going to do what I want to do because I'm my own man. Well, you got to hear the word. God says, no, God doesn't have to accept you at all. God does not have to accept that. Matter of fact, he says, if you live like that, you're grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And you cannot please God. And if you continue in that, you're called a lawbreaker. And someday, you're going to stand before Jesus, and he's going to open up the books. As he's he's going to see if you were a lawbreaker or whether your heart was towards him. You see what I mean? That's the honest-to-God truth and reality that someday we will give an account. So the challenges and what Paul was challenging them is to bring themselves to do God's will by presenting their body as a living sacrifice. Understand God's mercy. You can do it that way. Start with that. Meditate on God. Understand what a living sacrifice is and understand what God, God's will for you is. Remember, we've read those verses. God's will that you should be sanctified. You should avoid sexual immorality. He wants to sanctify you wholly, to be holy and set apart to him. 
And then another way you can, as a Christian, to get victory in your life through this, it's by understanding how to renew your mind. And in Romans 12, too, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove or you can test it out. You can test yourself that you might know and experience what God's perfect will is for your life so that you might have peace. You might have peace. So number one, it says, don't be conformed to the world. It's an imperative. He couldn't say it any stronger in the language. He's saying, don't let the world mold you. Don't let the world mold you, press you into its mold. Don't let this happen. If it continues too long, your whole identity is going to be focused in the world and not into Christ. But as believers, your identity is supposed to be found in Jesus Christ as revealed in the Word of God. But too many Christians, come on, we look like the world, we smell like the world, we act like the world, we think like the world, we do what the world does, we hang with the world, we hobnob around with this and that, you know what I'm saying? Let me ask you a question, just on a practical side. How many here, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but you can do it in your, in your inside. How many here, when you go out in, in the restaurant, do you pray for your meal? Or do you think, oh, man, they're going to think I'm a Christian. What? They're going to think what? That you are what you are? You see what I mean? Are we ashamed of Christ when we go out in the world, or we just want to be like the world? Do we, are we gleaming our, our identity from the world? Do we, do we need to look like the world? You know? And girls, this is tough. This is tough, man. This is tough. Guys, we've been looking dull and boring for, since it all started. You know? Except for, some, except for some of the macho guys who want to let their chest hang out and a couple gold chains, and everybody wants to look at that ugly hair in their chest. But not if you're cool and generational. Now they shave it off. You know? I guess that's cool. But who wants to look at some guy's bald chest? I don't want to look at it. It's bad enough at the beach. I go, oh. You ever go to the beach and, uh, and uh, they're getting out of their car and you get the one guy and he's a big, he looks like a bear and the wife's cutting his hair with the scissors off his back? Yeah, I've seen that already. It's like, he's so hairy. It's like his wife goes, oh, you can't go in public like that. So she starts cleaning him up. Oh, it's terrible. But anyway, girls, it's worse for you because you've got so much pressure to look like Victoria's Secret. You know, you've got to look like Victoria's Secret or you're not worth anything. Right? Yeah, you're worth, you're worth everything God says you are. You're beautiful because God says you're beautiful. You see what I mean? Don't be conformed. Don't be pushed into the world's mold. They'll just use you and abuse you. They're just sucking the money out of your pocket anyway. Right? Now, I'm not saying you should look ugly. I used to say back in Pennsylvania, Dutch country, if the barn needs paint, put it on. Right? But you know what I'm talking about. There's a line you cross where if you're just being provocative and wanting to draw everybody's attention to yourself, I don't know if that would be pleasing to the Lord. So, do you like to share your faith in public or are you embarrassed to do that? So on and so forth. I want to read uh, one more verse. 2 Corinthians 6, if you have your Bible. Second Corinthians 6, verse 14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Wow, there's that again. 
So anybody, whether they're Christian or lost, if they're lawbreakers, <clears throat> if it's somebody that's even if they're a Christian and they're constantly doing things that you know is wrong, you shouldn't be hanging around them. The Bible says don't fellowship with them. What communion has light with darkness? What concord has Christ with Satan? What part does a believer have with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. God said, I will dwell in you. That's the Holy Spirit. God said, I will walk among them. That's the presence of God. I will be their God. They will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, because of the mercies of God, let us cleanse ourselves <clears throat> from every filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear, in the fear of God. So as we do these things, we move into our, to our last point, which is being transformed by the renewing of our mind, verse 12b. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may prove what is that good and acceptable and well-pleasing will of God. Paul wrote to the Ephesians and he said that he might sanctify you, and he's given them a clue here how to be, how to be transformed. He might sanctify and cleanse you with the washing in water by the word. The Word of God is what's going to transform your mind. There's nothing else that's going to transform your mind. Jesus said, Now you are clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. Then in Hebrews it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water so that you may prove, be tested what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. This is what the Bible teaches us if we want to please God to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Are you presenting your body daily to God as a living sacrifice? When you get up in the morning and have your time, do you present yourself to Him? So just remember those Old Testament sacrifices the next time you do. God does not want you to come all beat up and broken up. That means you've got to be confessed up. And it's hard to be confessed up if you're going to just go do it again the same day. See, you, you, become, you, by, you become guilty in your own conscience. The Holy Spirit is just, you can't even get away. You can't even pray. You get to the point where you get so jammed up, your whole life is getting jammed up, and before you know it, you're going to give up. So, present your body to God as a living sacrifice by understanding the mercies of God, by understanding what a living sacrifice is, and by understanding how to renew your mind through the Word of God. Well, before I pray... I hope that you have been encouraged by this message and by the Word of God. And um, for those of you who don't know, I want to make an announcement to you that Lisa and I will be uh, taking on a new ministry uh, coming up here shortly. In fact, next week will be our, our last week with our family here at Calvary Vision. Uh, prior to coming here, we were involved in getting trained in the uh, inner healing ministry. Since then, we've gotten our uh, you know, certification to be inner healing uh, prayer ministers, and uh, the Lord has just put on our heart that that's what we, He's just moving us in that direction. We feel that's what we got to do. So, you know, in the body of Christ, there's two different types of ministries. There's the, uh, there's the equipping ministry, and then there's the uh, edifying ministry. And the equipping ministries are the pastors, pastors, teachers, evangelists, all those guys, and they're given to the body of Christ universal. God can take them and move them anywhere He wants. 
And then the edifying gifts of the Spirit are for right here in the local church. God's given every one of us of a gift to edify and build each other up. So, you know, the Lord has called me to, uh, to be part of that equipping ministry, and uh, we're going to follow the Holy Spirit in, 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 that, in that calling. We want to thank all of you for the, for the couple years we spent here with you. Great times, great times in prayer, great times of worship, and we'll have great memories. And we'll still be around. We're not, we're not leaving the country, so we're going to still be in the area. So we just wanted to thank you for that. In Jesus' name, we bless you. So, Father, thank you now for your love for Calvary Vision Church. Thank you, Lord, for your desire for Calvary Vision Church. Thank you, Lord, for what you want to do in and through Calvary Vision Church. So we just speak your blessing over this body of believers. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to give the leadership wisdom and guidance through your holy word, through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we give you praise. Amen.